0: come on, how many of you read 2 John? Lift it up. It takes a minute and 13 seconds. How many of you, how about we do this? How many of you did not read? No, let's not do that. I don't want to embarrass you guys now. Come on. If you read Second John, that'll make sense. So we're in a series right now called Bible Shorts. By the way, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, thank you all of you that are watching online. It is such a blessing to have you tune in. Thank you so much. Received a very nice note from Colorado, somebody that watches in Colorado and sent a very nice thank you note. Uh, uh, So really appreciate that. We're in a series right now called Bible Shorts. So you know how Instagram has Reels and YouTube has YouTube Shorts? Well, the Bible has its own version of Shorts. There are five one-chapter books in the Bible, and that's what we've been going over. We started with the book of Obadiah, which is the shortest book in the Old Testament. And then last week, Pastor Russ taught on Philemon. And then this week, we're going to be in 2 John, and then 3 John, and then Jude. And then we are finished with these five small books. And again, I wanna encourage you to read them during the week. All of them take less than three minutes each. So matter of fact, you can read all of them, all five of them in like less than 10 minutes. Uh, Very easy to read. So uh, I wanna encourage you to do that. So that means this week you're gonna read what? Third Third John. John, third John, all right. So turn to the book of second John, that is toward the back of your Bible. If get to Revelation, just go to the last book of the Bible turn left, you'll have, you'll hit Jude, Third John, and then Second John. These small books are a little bit hard to find because a lot of times they're only one little page. And so they're difficult to find. So I love to fish. I love it. Fishing is like one of my favorite things to do in life, other than being with you amazing people. But I love the fish. It, it is it's like, it's so cathartic to me. It it's just I, I love it. It's a hobby of mine. I love it. So when I was praying about where to plant a church, like back in the late '90s, I was a youth pastor, and I felt God calling me to plant a church. And so I was praying about you know where where God would have like where God wanted to send us to plant a church, and and I just had a request. I said, God, I'll go anywhere you tell me to go, I'll go wherever, anywhere in the world. I'll go wherever you want me to go, but please do not send me to Colorado or Montana. And there's a reason why is because I love fishing. And if, I, if God would have sent me to Colorado or Montana, I would have been a horrible church planter. Because I'd have been fishing the whole time and I would not have been planting a church. I wouldn't have been fishing for men. I would have been fishing for trout. And so uh so God in his humor sent me to the desert in Arizona. And so uh anyways, I love the fish. Trout fishing is my I've done all kinds of fishing. Trout fishing is by far my favorite. I love it so much. When the church that we planted became established and I was able to take a little time off in the summer. Uh, The boys and I, we would always drive up Arizona. You can drive, you know, not too far to the Dolores River, Southwest Colorado, or sometimes had a little more time. We drive up uh, north of, uh, uh, north of Denver on the pooter by Fort Collins and, and just go trout fishing, go camping and trout fishing. And man, I love it. Like I just can like feel God in the mountains. It's just, oh, it's so amazing. And so there's a couple of ways that you can fish the river, a couple of ways. One of the ways that you can fish the river is on the bank and you can walk the river. Some areas are accessible, some areas are not accessible. And so you kind of have to pick and choose. Sometimes there's spots you can fish, sometimes you can't. You can walk the bank and you can throw upriver fish into the river. And, and, and catch trout. Now from the bank, the bank, you can look at the river and you can describe how cold that river looks. You can describe how cold it looks. You can look at the river, the flow, the runoff from the, the snow and the mountains, and you can look at the flow, you can look at the current of the river and you can describe how fast that river is moving. You can look at the bottom of the river and you can see the boulders and the rocks and, and you can imagine what it's like to walk on those rocks. And you can imagine what it feels like in the river and you can imagine the current and how strong it is. You can imagine how difficult it is to navigate those rocks or how slippery they might be. You can imagine it, you can even describe it. Now there's another way to fish the river, which is by far what real fishermen do. What I love to do, and that is, I get off the bank and I walk down into the river, and I fish the river. This is this summer. Went to Colorado with my brother this summer. and we Fished. Oh my gosh, so beautiful! I'm in the middle of the river, and what's interesting about being in the river is I'm not destri- I'm not describing or speculating how cold the river is. I can feel it. I mean, I can feel how cold that river is. I have waders on, yes, I'm not that tough. You gotta have the felt bottom so you don't slip. Anyways, and when you're in the river, I'm not describing how strong the current is, or the force of the river, or how difficult it might be to navigate upriver. I'm in the river. I can feel how strong it is. I can feel the force of the river. And when I'm in the river, I'm not just describing the boulders and how slippery they might be and how difficult they might be to navigate. When I'm in the river, I can feel them at the bottom of my feet. I can feel how difficult it is to fish and walk at the same time and to navigate the big boulders and to be careful not to slip. And fall, which I've done many, many times. Second John is all about the difference in being on the bank and being in the river. And the title of my message today is Are You In? Because you'll notice this theme in First John, or in Second John, excuse me. And there might be some of you here. Today, you've been doing this church thing for a while, you've been doing this God thing for a while, but you're just on the bank. You're describing God, but you've never felt God. You're describing God's power, but you've never experienced His power. You're describing answered prayer, but you've never felt that answer yourself. You're describing faith. But you've never had to live by faith. Because it's easier, it's safer to fish on the bank. It's easier. But the experience is completely different. Way different. And so John does a couple of things in this letter. One, he basically asks us Are we in? Are we on the bank or are we in? And then another thing John does is he teaches us to identify those that are teaching from the bank or those that are actually living out what they're actually teaching. So turn to second John, turn to second John, again, it's in the, the back of your Bible. We're going to run through these verses today in this short little letter that John has written. So let's begin verse 1 the elder. That's how he starts, the elder. This is, John. John is probably in his 90s at this time in his life. He has been sent to Patmos, which is an island. Now there are two famous Johns in the Bible. There's John the Baptist and then there's John the disciple or John the apostle. Those are two different people. Those aren't the same people. John the Baptist and John the apostle are two different people. This John is the John that was in Jesus' inner circle. The one who's described as the one who Jesus loved. John walked with Jesus. He was taught by Jesus. This is the John that wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, these little Johns here in the back of the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And then John also wrote the book of Revelation. And so these are the books that John has written. So there's a difference between John the Apostle and John the Baptist. And this is John the Apostle, the elder. He's probably the most revered living apostle at this time. And he says, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now there's a little bit of speculation on who John is addressing. And there's two schools of thought. One is that perhaps John is addressing a church. There's a lot of persecution at this time. And so maybe John is speaking in code. So he's identifying not a specific church. He calls her the chosen lady. Um, the Bible refers to the church as being the bride of Christ. And so perhaps he's referring to a church and her children or the congregates, the people that go to the church. But there's another school of thought, which is the most commonly accepted. And that is that John is speaking to a specific woman and her family. Because it was very customary in those days, we'll look more at this next week, um, in 3 John, it was very customary for people to have, and Pastor Russ touched on this last Sunday, for people to have churches in their homes. That, that's the way that it was. They didn't have buildings, they met in homes. And like Lydia, maybe this lady had started a church or, or hosted a church that was in her home. And so John is addressing this specific lady and her children or maybe the people that go to the church. Now, notice the next few verses How many times you see the word in? And when you're studying the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, one good way to identify something that the author's trying to get us to understand or wants to make a point is look for words that are repeated. And so look in verse one. He says, whom I love in truth. So underline, circle, highlight every time you see the word in. In the truth, but also who know the truth. All who know the truth, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us, will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son, the Father, in, here's that word again, truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. There it is again just as we have received the commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment. In other words, this isn't new information. This isn't some new revelation. This isn't some new teaching. You've been taught this from the very beginning. He says, you know this from the beginning that we are to love one another. And this is love, that we walk according or in his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning that you should walk what? In. In it. And so the question is, are you in? Are you in? Are you on the bank? Or are you in the river? John is describing this experience of being in truth, in love, in the teachings of the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 7. And he says, it's important to be in because there are many deceivers that are going around teaching a false gospel teaching that is something that is not true. And if you're on the bank, you might not be able to catch it. But if you're in the river and you're experiencing God and you feel God and you know God and you're walking in the Lord, then it's easier to identify. He says many deceivers have gone on unto the world. Those who do not acknowledge, and this is the key and this is what the video was all about. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and the antichrist. Let's stop for just a minute because this is important and this is really the premise kind of two parts to this book John says that there are deceivers that have gone out and they do not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh now now during John's time during the New Testament even during Paul's time there there is this teaching um, called Gnosticism, and then there was kind of an offshoot, which is what John is addressing here, called Docetism. And 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 what they were, Gnosticism, which means it, it comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge, and then Docetism, which means to 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 appear or to seem like. Um, this is what they taught. They taught that all flesh was evil, all flesh was corrupt. Flesh was bad, flesh was evil, and only the spirit was good. Now, this is dangerous for a couple of reasons. One, it really opened itself up to having no responsibility for sin or choices because this is what their thought was the spirit is not accountable for the deeds of the flesh. My flesh is corrupt, my flesh is evil. Of course it's gonna do bad things. And so my spirit is not responsible. So who needs to discipline themselves? Who needs to walk in the river? Who needs to know the truth of God's word? Who needs to live in that? Because my spirit and my flesh are completely separate and my spirit is not accountable for the deeds of the flesh. There's another problem with this teaching. They taught because all flesh is evil that Jesus could have never been a human being that he could have never walked in the flesh, that he was a phantom, that he was like an illusion, that he was like a ghost. Jesus wasn't really here. Hence the video, dough, no dough, you get it now? They taught that Jesus wasn't really human, that he was only spirit, that, that there's no way God would ever be corrupted by the flesh. Now, this is really dangerous because what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. This is very dangerous because if Jesus didn't become flesh, that means he didn't take on our sins. And if he didn't take on our sins, then we're not forgiven. So you can see how dangerous this teaching could be and how, teach, uh, uh, and how dangerous that this teaching is. Because in order... To be a mediator between God and man, Jesus had to be fully divine and fully human, which is probably why John begins his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the very first line and the first few verses in John's gospel says this. In the beginning, notice this, how important this is to John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And this is so important. The word, what? Was God. God. He was in the beginning with God, who? Jesus. All things came into being through him and apart from him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of mankind. And then down in verse 14, John, John kind of explained this and this word became flesh because the word was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is important to John that Jesus wasn't just a phantom. He wasn't an illusion. He wasn't a figment of our imagination. Jesus was flesh, not to mention the fact John walked with Jesus. He touched Jesus. He, he, he spent years with Jesus on this journey. And so who better to know this but John. Verse 8, watch yourselves that you do not lose what you've accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Verse nine, anyone who goes too far or who wanders away and does not abide, this is how important this is to John, does not abide in the teachings of Christ, does not have God. He that has the Son has life, he that has not the Son hath not life. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. And you might say, well, that's harsh. Well, there's a reason for it and we'll talk about it here in a minute. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister, greet you. So there's a couple of essentials to the Christian faith that John is talking about in this short little postcard. And they're in your notes. You can follow along in your notes, or if you've downloaded our new Hope Ease app, you can click on the notes section. The first essential of biblical Christianity is this, walking in truth. There's a difference between being on the bank and being in the river. And one of the essentials of biblical Christianity is not just being able to describe God, but experiencing God. Not just being able to talk about God, but living in God. Not just being able to talk about and see the spirit of God, but to be able to feel and experience God. Not just talking about, well, this is truth and this might not be true, but it's actually living truth, living it out in our lives. So John says one of the most important parts of biblical Christianity is that we walk in the truth. John mentions this five times in four verses to start this letter. John makes it very clear that truth and living in truth and walking in truth is vital. And you say, well, yeah, no duh. But you know this, in our culture, what is truth? I mean, we live in a post-Christian culture, pretty much. And really, truth is however you choose to define it. Is Is that not what our culture says these days? It doesn't matter what science says. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what we believe for thousands of years. It doesn't really matter. Your truth can be your truth and my truth can be my truth. You can have whatever truth you choose to exist or believe in. There is no such thing as absolute truth. So which truth is right? Your truth or my truth? Neither. What's truth is God's word. And truth is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, the what? The truth and truth the life and no one comes to the father but by me you see the basis of truth is found in god's word and in jesus christ that's why that's why in many parts of the world you can't even get access to a bible it's so important to understand that standing in love is not being blind to truth if i have a family member or a dear friend that I love very much and I'm watching them completely destroy their life and I do nothing about it, do I love them? Am I truly showing them love if I don't try to intervene in any way? See, sometimes love equals discipline or correction. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that God loves those he chastises. The Bible also teaches us that as parents, if we do not discipline our children, that we are proving to them that we don't love them. This is what the Bible teaches because sometimes truth has to have boundaries and there has to be correction within truth. Truth and love go together. This word walk, when he says, I was so glad to see some of your children walking in truth. And you say, well, some, that's kind of, devastating. Well, maybe he didn't know them all, or maybe, maybe there were only some that were in the river and some were on the bank. But this word walk, when we see this in the Bible, because it's used oftentimes in the New Testament, especially, it just means life. It means like way of life or to live. Like the Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. This is talking about lifestyle. You can replace the word walk with live. So if I live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The Bible tells us to walk worthy of the calling with where which we've been called. You can take that word walk and just put to live, to live worthy of, of the calling in which we've been called. The Bible tells us that we walk by what? By faith and not by sight. So we live by faith and not by sight. So as believers, we're to walk in truth, not just describe truth, not just describe God, but experience God, to walk in truth. And so John says, as a believer, one of the essentials of being a believer is that we walk in truth. Now, I think we'd all agree that most religions believe in a God. I mean, almost all religions believe in some kind of higher power or a God. What separates biblical Christianity from every other religion in the world, and really what separates what, what is the difference between all religions is this. What do you believe about Jesus. That is the most important thing. It doesn't matter whether they have it printed on the outside of their building. That doesn't mean that they believe in the Jesus that we read in God's word. And so it's important that we understand what truth is. John gives us two examples of walking in truth. The first is this, that love equals truth. In verses one through four, he tells us that. He says, there are children whom I love in the truth because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. And he says in verse three, grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ, will continue to be with us who live in what? The truth in love. They go together. True love requires loving the truth. Love has to have boundaries at some point. If I truly love my kids, I'm gonna teach them about the dangers. I'm gonna tell them the truth about this life. I'm gonna tell them the truth of what happens when they're little kids if they go straying out onto a road. You have to be honest because love equals truth. Matter of fact, Paul mentions to the church at Corinth who he had the correct nonstop Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I write to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but so that you might know the love which I have for you. Paul's saying there's some things I have to do for you and it's not easy. It's hard for my spirit. It's difficult for me to correct you, but I have to do it because I love you so much. I love you so much that I have to, go through this difficult thing of instructing you and getting you back on the path of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love rejoices in truth. You see, we are diminishing love if we diminish truth. The second part of this is that John says that love equals obedience. Love equals obedience, obedience. People say this, you know, people say, say, well, how much of the Bible do you believe? And the answer is this, how much of it do you live out? How much of the Bible do we actually live out? Love equals obedience. John says in verse six, this is love, and he describes it, that we walk according to his commandments, not against everybody else's truth or even my own standard, because that can be flawed as well but according to God's word, according to God's truth. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you're to live or you're to walk in it. So that's what the Bible tells us to do, not observe from the bank, but be in the river because love equals obedience. John mentions in his first letter, 1 John chapter five, verse two, he says, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not a burden. John says in his gospel in chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, he quotes Jesus, that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so part of truth is obedience when it comes to God's word, they go hand in hand. The second essential that, that, that John teaches us is not to just walk in truth. And with that comes love, with that comes obedience. But the second thing that we're to do is that we're to stand against falsehood. And and John describes this in verses seven through 11. Now, there are many verses in the New Testament that are dedicated and urging us to defend our faith. I had a class in Bible college called Apologetics. And what that class is, is it teaches you how to understand and how to defend your faith. Let me ask you this. Do you know what you believe? Like, do you really know what you, can you defend your faith? Do you know what's essential and what's not essential? What's important and what, you know, might be give or take? Can you defend your faith? Do you know your faith? Because the Bible says many deceivers have gone out. You know, um, early British coins, had the words inscribed in them, Fid Death. And this is short for Fide Defensior, which is Latin for defenders of the faith. It was a very common thing for early Christians to experience false teachings and, and false teachers and teachings that were not accurate or biblical like what John is referring to us here. And in the Bible, there's this group in the book of Acts called Bereans and their job, what they did was they were testing whether something was truly accurate or not. And I want to encourage you to do that because it's very easy for us to fall for people that are eloquent speakers or they're very dynamic or they're very extroverted. You know, they're very engaging and they can tell amazing stories and, and they can get you all hyped up and get you all excited because they're a celebrity or they're popular or whatever it might be. But do we look at God's word and say, okay, does this match God's word? Even what you hear from me every Sunday. Are you looking at this and say, okay, does this match God's word? Because we should be inspectors. We should make sure that the church we're going to, the stuff we're listening to is biblically accurate and that is coming from God's word. That's why the vast majority of what we do around here is we look verse by verse through scriptures in the Bible, because at the end of the day, you don't need to hear my opinion on things. You don't need to know what I think about life. We need God's word and what God's word says. In Ephesians chapter four, if you flip back just a few books um, to Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul talks about One of the signs of being mature in the faith, being in the river, is this. In verse 14, he says, as a result of like being in the river, of knowing your faith, he says, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects, into he who is the head, even Christ. And so the Bible encourages us to grow up in our faith, to know what we believe. So John is telling us that it's important to know our faith well enough that we can defend it. And there's a few things that he tells us to do. Look in verse 8. The first one is this he tells us to watch ourselves. Watch ourselves. When investigating what we believe or defending our faith, living in our faith, we're to watch ourselves. Being in the river is far more dangerous than being on the bank. you got to watch yourself. He says, watch yourself so that you don't lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Watch ourselves, watch our doctrine, what we believe, what we uh, investigate when it comes to the scripture. The second thing that he tells us is to not get sidetracked. Look in verse 9. He says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. He says, anyone who wanders, don't allow these twisted truths to get you off course, to take back what you've accomplished in the faith for the Lord. Do you know what the word wicked means? Because if you think about it, what false teachers do and what was happening here is they take a little bit of truth and a little bit of falsehood and they weave them together. I mean, if they came saying, you know what? Jesus didn't exist. He wasn't God at all. This is not true. The Bible's not true. God doesn't even exist. All this stuff. If if false teachers came with that, that's easy to identify, isn't it? Very easy. But what they do is they take a little bit of truth and a little bit of falsehood and they mix them together. The word wicked comes from the root word wick, which means to twist like a wicker basket. It's materials that are woven or twisted together like a wick on top of a candle. It's materials that is twisted. And so they take truth and they take falsehood and they twist it together and it becomes much more difficult to to identify. That's why John calls them deceivers, deceivers. Many religions today say, oh, we believe in God, but not Jesus. We believe in this, and we even believe in Jesus, but we don't believe this about Jesus. And they pick and choose things that are contrary to God's word. Matter of fact, this was such a problem in the early church that they actually adopted a letter that they sent to all the churches that they distributed on how to identify false teaching from true teaching. And then lastly, John tells us this that at some point you have to draw a line in the sand. You can't just be tossed to and fro with every wind and every trickery and every wave of doctrine and and be so concerned about people liking us all the time that we don't stand up for truth. John says, at some point you have to draw a line in verse 10, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And you're like, well, that's rude. I thought we're supposed to love people. We are, but love equals truth. Now, this is very important in this context because the churches were house churches. And you had these itinerant or traveling preachers that would go around and they would stay in a, in a community, you know, one or two, th- three days, and then they would go on to the next preaching the gospel. And there were a lot of great teachers, solid teachers. John addresses that in the next letter. But there were those who did not teach truth. They taught truth. Gnosticism, docetism, things that were not biblical, things that went against what the apostles had taught and what Jesus brought. And so Jay, uh, John is saying, when he's saying don't let him into your house, what, what he means is like, don't bring them into your house church to teach their falsehoods. And then he says, don't greet them. That word greet in the Greek just means identify. Don't, Don't publicly identify with them because if you're in a small community, a small area and you have them into your home and then you're hanging out with them in the marketplace, what you're doing is you're putting your stamp of approval on their reputation and what they're teaching. And John says at some point, you have to draw a line in the sand. You have to know what you believe and stand on that. That's not being hateful. That's being loving. And that's walking in truth. And so at some point in all of our lives, we have to say, okay, I can give and take on this stuff. But there's some things where we have to draw a line in the sand and we say, we will not cross that line because Jesus gave too much for us to not stand up for our faith. Few takeaways and then we're done. They're in your notes. The first one is this. Love is the foundation of our faith. No doubt about that. Second, Walking in truth is the evidence of our faith. And number three, standing against falsehood is a responsibility of our faith. And so let me end with the question I asked you at the very beginning. Are you in? There might be some of you here today where you've been on the bank for a long time. The scenery is nice. You can catch a fish or two, but you've never taken that step into the river. You know God exists and, and, and you believe the Bible, the parts you understand, but you've never experienced God. You've never stepped into the river because it's dangerous. It's risky and it requires sacrifice and it requires dedication and it's difficult. Maybe some of you here, you've been on the bank for a long time. I want to challenge you today to walk in truth, to walk in love. Are you in, to get in the river. Don't just observe from the bank. The experience in the river is so much different than being on the bank and far more rewarding. There's a big difference between knowing God exists and experiencing God in your life. And I wanna encourage you to do that. And I also wanna challenge you to know your faith. Get in God's word, know how to defend and how to be able to understand, okay, I'm not falling for this garbage. Understand and know your faith. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word says that it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, thank you for the life that comes from your word. And Father, I pray for each person here today if there are some people that for whatever reason, they've just been content with walking from the bank, maybe today for the first time, they're gonna decide, God, I'm done with that. It's time to step in the river. It's time to be in this life, not just describe this life. And Father, if there are people like that, I pray that right now, that they would just make that commitment and say, God, today I'm stepping in the river. I don't wanna just know about you. I wanna feel you. I don't wanna just know about forgiveness. I wanna experience forgiveness. I don't wanna just know about your presence and your spirit. I wanna feel your spirit for myself. I don't wanna just pray and feel like it's just going into the atmosphere and I don't even know what's going on. I wanna pray and I wanna know that you hear my prayers. So God, I pray that if there are people like that, that they would make that commitment today. And Father, I pray for maybe some people that are struggling with their faith. Maybe they have doubts on what they believe and they don't know what to believe and they go back and forth. God, I pray that they would take the time that they need to take to get in your word, to stay consistent in church, join a life group, join electives, so that they can understand their faith. Thank you so much, Father, for your blessings. Thank you that we are never alone, that we are never in love, that we are never ever without purpose or value, but we are who we are because of the artists who put us together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to New Hope this week. You know, the church doesn't stop when the video does. And make sure that you share this with a friend You can even support what we're doing via the give button here on the left. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single Sunday. And we cannot wait to see you this week either in person or online. Have a great day.